Good morning, Clemson Prez. How are you this morning? Good. If we have not met yet, my name is Brian Counts, and I'm one of the pastors here at our church. And uh, if this is one of your first weeks here with us, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. If you're online with us for one of the first times, thank you for joining us in that way as well. Uh, We hope as you come and you're with us, you get a sense of what we want to be about which is helping others grow to be followers of Jesus, even as we ourselves are doing the same. Now, um, if you were able to come last week to the installation service, I just want to thank you for coming and joining us. It was very meaningful for my whole family, and it feels very good to finally be installed, which is a funny word, but I'm installed, and so I'm ready to go, and uh, it's just so good to be here with you all. Now, the reason we just prayed the Lord's Prayer is because we are starting a series on the Lord's Prayer. We just started last week, so if you're new, this is a great time to jump in here with us this morning. Uh, Last week, we looked at Jesus' introduction to the Lord's Prayer, where basically we saw that he he, uh, told us how not to pray. Now, as we dive into the Lord's Prayer for the next several weeks, we're going to see, of course, how he teaches us to pray, how to pray. Last week was how not, this week was how or will be how to in the weeks to come. Last week we saw we should not pray to impress others or try to control God, but to rely on him as a father. And one of my prayers for this series is that it would make us as a church you as an individual and me as a pastor, all more drawn to prayer. That it would draw us all to prayer. That those who come after us would say that era of Clemson Prez was marked by people who cried out to God and prayed. That's one of my prayers. I hope it becomes one of yours as we go as well. So one of the things that is worth asking as we get started then is what keeps us from praying? What keeps you from praying? What keeps me from praying like we want to? You might be new to Christianity in the church, and that's not really a question that you've ever had time to wrestle with yet, and that's okay. If you're coming, thank you for being here. We'll have something for you in this service as well, of course. But if you have walked with the Lord or tried to walk with Him for any amount of time, one of the things you're probably most frustrated about quickly is, I'm not praying like I think I should. I'm not feeling like I think I should when I pray. I'm not praying for the length of time. I'm distracted when I pray. I'm not even wanting to pray. All these things make it hard for us to pray. And there's lots of reasons, but of course, three of them, at least for me, maybe for you as well, you can try these on and see if they uh, fit you as well, is because sometimes we just don't know how. Maybe you're not drawn to prayer simply because you don't know what to do, and you start and you kind of wander around, it feels like, in prayer, not really knowing where to go or what to say, and there's no, have you noticed, there's no immediate feedback when you pray? There's no little buzz on your watch that says, okay, you're getting closer, that's it. You're just kind of like, I think this is working, I don't know. So maybe you just don't know how. Or maybe it's you're not drawn to pray because you lack a certainty that God cares about what you want to pray about. Maybe you lack a certainty that God even notices you. This is the kind of question, would God help? Would he help? And if you aren't convinced he would, then it's going to be tough to pray, right? If you don't think God wants to help, if you don't think he cares, if you don't think he would help, then it's going to be hard to pray. And sometimes what keeps us from praying is a faulty understanding of ability, a faulty understanding of 
of ability. And that could be a faulty understanding of your own power. You know, if you think you've got something under control, you don't pray. If you think, I know what to do, I know where to go, I know what to say, then do you pray? No. You're like, I got this. And then often it's when it all falls apart that we're like, oh, I don't have this. God, I need you to show up. Or it could be that we have a misunderstanding of God's power. Even sometimes if we think we can't do it, we're not convinced God could. And again, this isn't a question of would God, but could God? Could he help? Does he have the power to do that? And those three things, amongst many others, can keep us from praying. But I think all three of those, along with many other reasons that we don't pray, are actually addressed in just the first eight words of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. So turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at just the first part of verse 9. Matthew chapter 6, you can turn there either in your Bible or on your app if you're using a phone or a screen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, this is Jesus as he teaches us to pray. It's God's Word, so let's read it and hear it as an act of worship. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. That's it. That's the text. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you this morning, I pray that you would give us all a sense that you want to hear from us, that you want to speak to us, and you want to hear back from us. I pray that you would give us all a sense of your power and your might. Father, I pray that you would draw us all to pray. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Now, obviously, it's a short passage that we just read. Like I said, only eight words, but we're still going to get three points. How about it? Pretty good, huh? So first point, simply this, pray then like this. Second point, our Father. Third point, in heaven. We're just going to take the eight words, slice them as we go. First, pray then like this. Second, our Father. And third, in heaven. So first, pray then like this, which is obviously how Jesus instructs us, how he begins to instruct us to pray. The Lord's Prayer, as we'll see as we go over the next several weeks, is an opening, which we're going to look at this morning, our Father in heaven, and then it's followed by five requests. The Lord's Prayer is an opening and five requests. One, hallowed be your name. Two, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Three, give us this day our daily bread. Four, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And five, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, how are we to use it? What does Jesus mean when he says, pray then like this? Does he mean we should recite it? Well, sure. It's great. We just recited it together before I came up. That is a great way to use the Lord's Prayer. Now, you might wonder, what happened to the end of it? A lot of you kept praying, right? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. What happened to that? Well, it's a long story, but real briefly, that was the King James, 400 years plus back. Since then, we have learned a little bit more about original manuscripts, and that phrase is not wrong. It's a good thing to pray. It's true. But it's just not in the oldest manuscripts. 
And that is really rare. When it comes to the Old and New Testament, compared to other ancient texts, we have 24,000 Old Testament, New Testament manuscripts, and they're all incredibly consistent. So it's one of the greatest arguments to trust the reliability of the Scriptures. But it's here in the Lord's Prayer, it appears that a scribe somewhere along the line inserted an extra thing as he was copying, and it got copied down, and now we say, oops, that doesn't appear to be originally part of what Jesus said. So it's okay to pray, and even over the next few weeks, we're going to recite the Lord's Prayer together every week. If you still sort of keep going, that's okay. It's all good. I learned it that way too. It's all fine. So it's good to recite it together. It's good to recite it on your own. Sometimes when I'm tired and weary and I don't know what to pray, the Lord's Prayer is a great thing to pray, as long as we don't just mechanically say it. Jesus just told us last week not to heap up empty words like the Gentiles, and I don't think he's giving us the Lord's Prayer just to heap up empty words and not think about what we're saying. But I don't think just reciting it is all he meant for us to do. I think what he means for this to be are six places from which we can jump off from when we pray. Six meaning an opening and five requests. I don't think it's everything we can pray about, you know. In Ephesians 5, give thanks in all things. Well, this word thanks does not appear in the Lord's Prayer. Colossians 4, Paul says, please pray others will come to know the Lord Jesus. That's not in the Lord's Prayer. There's lots of things to pray that aren't here, but these are six, like I said, jumping off places when we pray. Six targets, Randy Pope, one of the pastors in Atlanta in the PCA calls them, which has shaped my thinking on this. If you've heard him teach on this, you'll hear some of that coming out. Six places from which to jump off. Six things from which to begin to talk to God about. Pray then like this. You can recite it, you can have a short prayer, or each one of these six places can be a place which you begin to talk to God about what's reflected in this request or this opening, as we'll see this week. And then you begin find yourself praying for all kinds of things. And what we'll see is the Lord's Prayer actually then covers just about everything we could ever want to pray about. Jesus does it in less than 60 words. But we find if we jump off from these places and begin to pray, God, your kingdom come, there's a million things we could pray for for God's kingdom to come. When we pray for our daily bread, we'll see we're praying for lots of things. We're praying for God to provide for us, for our friends, for our church as we need. There's so much to pray about. It covers just about everything we could ever want to pray about. I came across this quote this week, or just recently, that says this, every possible desire of the praying heart, the Lord's Prayer contains. It contains a whole world of spiritual requirements and combines in simple language every divine promise, every human sorrow and want, and every Christian aspiration for the good of others. Do you think that's overstated? Could only 60 or less words contain all that? And the more I've prayed the Lord's Prayer over the last few years, the more I think He's right. Every spiritual requirement, every longing of our heart, every good thing we can ask God for is here in the Lord's Prayer. Think of it just like when a baby learns to talk. Before a child can speak words, that little boy or girl as an infant has to babble, has to babble. And when a baby is doing that, it's not just making noise for the sake of making noise, but actually when you look at it, that child is trying out 
the foundations of speech. That child is learning how to use its tongue. That child is learning how to use its vocal cords, how to use its lips and its teeth, and how to make sounds, and it's the building blocks, the foundation of the words which will come. And I think the Lord's Prayer is kind of like that. It gives us an attitude and things to pray about that are so foundational in prayer, I think they're kind of like learning how to babble in prayer. And all those things the baby learned, they don't leave it behind when they speak, they just put it together. And the more we grow in prayer, the more we'll see that these topics in the Lord's Prayer, these areas, these targets that we can begin to babble as we learn how to pray, actually we never leave them behind. We're building on them, we're growing through them, we're praying more and more. You can compare it to that, or you can compare it to learning how to play a musical um, instrument, which is something I'm not good at. Those of you who can, I'm very thankful for you. As a matter of fact, when I was a kid, my parents said, you're going to take piano, which was kind of them. It was a good thing to say I had to take piano. I went two or three times, and then I never wanted to go back. Do you know why? Because I didn't know how to play. Which makes no sense. That's why they're getting me lessons. But I have the kind of personality where I don't want to do anything I'm not good at. And I'm going to take piano. I'm not good at this. I don't want to keep going. That's something I have to work out with Jesus. He's still working on me when it comes to that. But those of you who have gone through and learned how to play a musical instrument, I'm told it's very structured and disciplined at first, correct? There's scales, there's routines, there's things you practice, but the more you do that, the more freedom of expression you have when you play. And if you don't go through that structure and discipline, then that freedom of expression never comes when you play an instrument, just like it never came for me in the piano because I can play, you know, nothing, right? So I can't express it that way. I never learned. But the Lord's Prayer gives us those things that are the foundation and the structure and the discipline to learn how to pray and to build on it, which leads then in our prayers to greater freedom of expression and communication. So as we go through this series, that's the approach we're going to take. These are six areas to jump off from in our prayers. And this first one is our Father in heaven, the opening, the greeting of the prayer. That brings us to our second point, our Father. Jesus tells us to pray to a Father. Now again, this prayer has the utmost respect to be brief. And so of all the things Jesus could have said, call God, when you begin to pray to him, he picks Father. He could have picked God, he could have picked Lord, he could have picked any of the other names for God in the Bible. That would have been fine, but he says, call him Father, call him Dad. In the Old Testament, we said last week, doesn't quite have this same tone in it. God is referred to as a father in the Old Testament, but not like the new. I mean, just in the first few chapters of Matthew alone, Jesus refers to God more as a father than in the whole rest of the Old Testament. No Old Testament prophet taught us to call God father in prayer like Jesus does here. And it's really really significant for us as we begin and continue to learn how to pray. Because nearly every time this word for God comes up, it's often tied to prayer. In Romans chapter 8, in the book of Galatians, when we see God called Father, Abba, Dad, it's often followed by, and we cry out. Abba, Father, and our crying out, our prayer are linked together for so many reasons. Mostly because 
God calling himself Father and calling us Son is, many have noted, the apex of redemptive privilege and honor. You see, apart from Jesus, you know this story, we are as estranged from God as estranged can be. We heap up our sins on our own. We heap up our lying and our greed and our self-righteousness and our selfishness and our betraying. We heap up all these things. And God in His grace and His mercy comes to rescue us. He doesn't have to, but He wants to. And He comes and He sends His own Son, Jesus Christ, in the flesh, fully God, fully man, to live a perfect life in our place and then to die in our place and to be raised to a new life. And all of that could have been so that we would go from being against God and worthy of His wrath to being His slaves. Would that not be incredible? If He took us from worthy of His wrath to slaves, our servants? Or what if He said, okay, you can be my friends, but He takes us all the way and calls us His sons, His children. It's the height of the description of how good and perfect and awesome His grace is for us. And so it, it, so it changes and impacts every part of our life. So let's just take a little run this morning at trying to figure out what it means for our prayers. First, if God is our Father, if He says, call me Father when you pray, it means that He wants to hear us. God, as a father, wants to hear you. Now, that's like the first thing maybe you ever learned about prayer, but I want to say it over and over this morning because I'm so prone to not believe it. You're so prone to forget it. God wants to hear from you. Even an earthly father, as messed up as every earthly father is, wants to hear from their children. Even a halfway decent one wants to hear right? God wants to hear us. Now, when you heard we were going to look at prayer over the next few months, what was your emotional reaction to that? Were you excited? Were you, eh, whatever? How did you feel when you heard we were going to talk of prayer the next few months? One of the emotional reactions I can have when prayer comes up is shame. Do you have that? Oh, I'm going to learn about prayer again. I've learned about it in the past, I've heard sermons, I've read books, we've talked about it in my small group, I've tried, and I'm not good at it. I'm still just like a child when it comes to praying. And so we have this sense of shame so often, but what I want you to see here is that these words, the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, is part of the Sermon on the Mount, which is very early in Jesus' ministry. Jesus teaches His disciples very early on how to pray. Now, that's great. Jesus is gracious. He's kind. He teaches them how to pray. The Lord's Prayer shows up one other place in the New Testament. It shows up in the Gospel of Luke. And this time, before Jesus shares the Lord's Prayer and teaches on it, the, the uh, disciples come to him, and they say that famous question, Lord, teach us to pray. And then without any shame or any rebuke, three years after he first taught them to pray, three years of them seeing him pray, following him, I'm sure talking about prayer a number of times, three years into this gig, they come and say, Lord, teach us to pray. 
And he could have been like, oh gosh, I have. Pay attention. But he kindly and gently once again teaches them how to pray. And so you and I, if you've walked with the Lord for a while, maybe you've heard sermons on it, you've tried. Like I said, you've read books, all these things. Jesus doesn't shame us or rebuke us. The Father doesn't shame us or rebuke us when we want to learn how to pray because he is a father. He wants to hear from us. Or go back to, again, how a little child learns how to talk and learns how to babble. When our children are infants, do we shame and scold them because they can't put all those different parts and pieces of learning how to make noise together into words? Do you go, oh, my six-month-old, just not getting it, just not speaking yet. No, he's still babbling. No, you don't think that. You think, this is so precious. I almost don't want them to learn how to talk because then I can't hear these noises anymore or when they grow up to be a toddler and they've got words, but they're mispronouncing every single one. Do you shame them or scold them? I hope not. Matter of fact, I was, my poor kids, they probably still mispronounce words because when they were toddlers, it was so cute, I didn't want to correct them, right? They were talking. It was awesome to hear them. And so what makes us think we're better parents than God? What makes us think we want to hear from our kids more than God wants to hear from us? Your father wants to hear from you. Your father wants to hear from us in prayer. Too often we think like we're an orphan and we have to earn our way, make our way, prove our way. And God says, no, you are an adopted son. If he's our father, then he wants to hear from you, even if you're bad at praying. Even if you're bad every day when you pray. And you know what the bad good news is? Yeah, you're bad every time you pray. What makes us think we ever get past the toddler phase with God? What makes us think we ever really graduate and we're supposed to be some PhD theologian talking to him? All of us, even the most advanced, spiritual, whatever kind of person you can imagine, the one you respect the most in their walk with the Lord, when they talk to God, it's still just babbling. He's still just accepting us out of grace and out of love, not because we're so good at praying. God wants to hear from us, and if he's a father, then it also means he wants to help us. If he's a father, what does that mean? It means he wants to help us. He wants to hear from us, and he wants to help us. This is that kind of question, would he help? Would God help? Would a father help? A halfway decent human father wants to help. And again, what makes us think we're better fathers than God himself? If God says, call me father, then he is saying so many things, and he's saying he wants to help us. He would help us. Even in all those desperate, shameful, guilty, ugly, embarrassing places in your life, and you've got them like I do, he wants to help you there. He would help you there. He is a father. You can rest in that, even in all those difficult, painful, embarrassing, weak places. Now, sometimes you can rest in that fact that he wants to help us, but sometimes you have to wrestle with him. Do you hear that? You can rest, and sometimes you have to wrestle. God, really? There has been this painful, desperate, shameful, hurting, guilty, ugly part of my life, and I've asked you to help, and you didn't. Do you feel that way sometimes? Would you still help? You don't, it seems like. And we can wrestle with him. God, you tell me to call you a father in heaven, but you don't seem in this part of my life to treat me that way. 
So what do we do with that? Well, all of us, if you had, a, again, a halfway decent father on earth, you can be thankful that he did not always help you in the way you thought he should, right? Because when you were six, the way you really thought your dad was supposed to help you was really not the way he should help you. And the thing was, he saw more than you. He knew more than you. And it's the same with our Heavenly Father. He sees all. He knows all. And if he loves us, and he does, and he's proven it at the cross, and he sees all and knows all, then if we could see what he sees, you would ask to be loved the same way that he does love you. We don't just trust God to answer our agenda and our prayers. We trust him when he doesn't. That's what it means that he's a father, that even those desperate, painful, shameful, embarrassing places, he's got those too. And even when it doesn't feel like he's helping, he is. And how do we know? Because of the cross. If he did that, he will graciously give us all things as well. He's a father who wants to hear us and wants to help us. And so before we go on to our third point, which is in heaven, I just want to stop and notice the word before father, the word our, our father. Again, Jesus could have just said, pray then like this, father in heaven. He could have said, pray then like this, my father in heaven. And all those would be good and right, and you can certainly call him my father. But Jesus says, pray then like this, our father. In other words, you're not the only one talking to him. You are receiving your identity as a child of God, but you have to then also, with your fellow Christians, understand their identity is a child of God as well. If Father softens your heart towards God, the word our softens your heart towards other Christians and tells you who they really are. It's way too easy for me, for us, to label other Christians outside of our church, big church, or even inside of a local church. And I'm new here still, so I can do this because I don't know how we might do this at Clemson President. If I step on toes, I didn't know. So let's do this. So sometimes, even in a local church, you can have negative labels for other groups and other people, right? Maybe not even negative in and of itself, but you can talk about the older people don't understand. You can talk about the younger people don't understand. You can talk about the newer people to our church don't understand. You can talk about those who are different than me and whatever negative label you want to give them. But Jesus says, no, don't think of each other that way. Think of each other as having the same father or even just giving a positive label to those who think like you and act like you and want the same things for your church can, in a sense, make a subgroup. And Jesus says, in a church, don't have subgroups, don't have tribes, don't have parties, have family members with the same Father, our Father in heaven. There's so much to be excited about, I've found, for the future of Clemson Prez. And one of the greatest ways to squander that future is to not see each other in our own church as having the same Father, as being one with us, even when they're different. But a common faith and a common grace gives us our Father. And so thirdly and lastly and quickly, let's look at in heaven, in heaven. Now, if I say the word heaven, what comes to your mind? The afterlife, the opposite of hell. Maybe you think of the clouds and the harps and the angels and all those things, which is not in the Bible, by the way. I mean, heaven is, but not that kind of heaven. That's a whole series of sermons. And heaven in the Bible is described as the place those who die are with the Lord in heaven. But heaven in the Bible isn't just that. 
Maybe you know the book of Revelation that describes heaven as the throne room of God. In the scripture, the heaven is often the place where God is and dwells and is the center and locus and description of his power. And so when we pray to a father in heaven, we're not praying to my father in that place where I'll be eventually, but who isn't with me here. You're praying to your father who is the king. You're praying to a father who's on the throne. You're praying to a father with all authority and power in heaven and earth. If father tells us that God would help, in heaven tells us that God could help, will help, can help, that he has the authority. Again, sometimes we don't pray because we don't think God could help or we think we got this. And he's saying, I'm in heaven. I'm on the throne where every type of creature spiritual and physical, bows down and worships because I am great over all. My Father in heaven, our Father in heaven. When we have an overinflated view of our ability, this helps. When we have an underinflated view of God's power, this helps, and it draws us to pray. And I wonder which one is harder for you to believe, that God is a Father or that God is in heaven with all authority? Which one is harder for you to trust and why? Jesus says, come to God in prayer and address him, acknowledge him right off the bat as our Father in heaven who wants to help and can help. Now again, if this is a jumping off place in our prayers, our Father in heaven, what does that mean? Well, it means it's a great way to start your prayer. There's many great ways to address God. You don't have to use these words, our Father in heaven, but Jesus is saying your prayers should be shaped by the truth that the God of all the universe with all authority and power through the cross by Jesus' grace and work is your Father. That's who you're talking to. That's who you're praying to. And we need to constantly be resting in that as we pray. It doesn't just shape the first few words we say, but it's going to shape all the other requests and thanksgivings and prayers we're going to make as we pray, that we're praying to a Father in heaven. And that can be done by simply repeating those words and remembering it quickly. Or you could spend literally hours talking to God about the fact He is a Father in heaven. You can remember and rest and worship for all the things He did and is doing to make you His Son. You can worship him for hours, for all of the power and all the different ways Scripture describes that in creation and redemption. You see, you can jump off from our Father in heaven into all kinds of ways and things to pray about. And you're wondering, God, I, I want to pray this morning, or maybe I don't want to pray this morning, and I don't know what to pray about. Start here with our Father in heaven and just start rehearsing and remembering all that that means. And you're going to find a tremendous amount of things to pray about. One way I found helpful in this is just to keep a little prayer book, very small, it's simple, and I've got just the first page or two and I come across a scripture that reminds me of God's grace or his fatherhood or his power, I jot that scripture down there. And so as I begin to pray, I've got now truth to remind myself that God is a father in heaven. You could do that. You could do it any number of ways. I want these next few weeks as we talk about the Lord's prayer to be as practical as possible. And one way we're going to do this, if you'll turn to the back page of your bulletin this morning, you'll see a prayer app notification. If you don't know, and I just found out because I'm new, Clemson Press has an app. Some of you have it on your phone and you never use it, and that's fine. But 
One way I'm going to try to help us all, myself included, to pray this week and in the weeks to come is to send out a notification on that app. And so if you don't have it yet, you've got the instructions there how to get it. It's very simple. Go to whatever app store you use, search for Clemson Prez, download it, and then once you... And then once you open the app, it's got the three lines there that every app has, the horizontal lines. I don't know what they're called, but every app has them. Do you know what they're called? Can someone tell me after the service? So you press those three lines, and then you go to notifications, make sure that they are enabled, and your phone will buzz this week, Lord willing, if this works, pray it works. If you want to pray about something, pray about this. Pray it works a Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning. All of us at Clemson Prez will get a prayer prompt to pray together at the same time about how God is a father in heaven. Now, you might not be a smartphone person, and that's okay. So how are we going to help you? We have paper in the lobby at the welcome counter with the same prayer prompts. And so you can set an alarm or pray them during the week or however you want to do it. But either way, get the app or go to the counter and get the paper, and let's try praying this week together as a church family about our Father in heaven. And we're going to do that as we go throughout this series. And so regardless if you join in that or not, my prayer, like I said at the start, is that all of us will be more drawn to pray, whether that's because we know how to start or whether that's because we have now a deeper and richer and renewed sense that God is a Father who loves us or a deeper and richer and renewed sense that God is in heaven with power to help us. Whatever it is, I pray that we'll be drawn to pray. And that even as we reflect on the gospel each week here in worship, and now as we come to the Lord's Supper, that the good news of that gospel, that we were sinners who were made sons, will draw us all to pray. And let's pray now. Father, we're here right now as we close this part of our worship and move now to your table. We're here to pray that we would pray. I'm here to pray that I would pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Help us to rest in the knowledge that you are a Father in heaven. Help us to rest in the goodness and sweetness and majesty of that. Help us to be convinced that as we come to you, you want to hear us and help us. Help us to be convinced that you can help us. Father, I pray that we would not feel that we have to perform for you in prayer, but that we can rest with you, we can wrestle with you, we can praise you, that you delight to hear us no matter how we come. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.